and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We're back here today and we have a creepy story to spill some liberty on before we get started on the continuation of last week's topic, the abduction of the Lion Sisters. But before we get into the Lion Sisters part two, we want to talk about a really creepy story out of Alabama where an execution took place via nitrogen gas. First, the U.S. here, or this new method, which is pretty scary. It's really creepy. It's the first use of this new method. And this happened on Thursday of last week. And via this gas, this man was put to death. And this all happened, and it spurred a huge debate about capital punishment. The state said that the method would be humane, but critics, of course, are calling it cruel and experimental. And the officials at the location at the time of the death of Mr. Eugene Smith said that he was pronounced dead at 8.25 p.m. at an Alabama prison after he breathed pure nitrogen gas through a face mask to cause oxygen deprivation. And again, this is the first time this execution method was used in the U.S. Lethal injection before this has been the only method used. And that was introduced back in 1982. So it's been a really long time. But this is kind of disgusting and just makes you think. The execution took about 22 minutes from the time between the opening and the closing of the curtains to the viewing room. And that's the other thing to me, like the fact that you can view this. I know. What is up with that? I know. And I mean, I I can't say, you know, because I've never been in this situation of being like a family member of a victim or something and wanting to, you know, see the person suffer that did something to your loved one. But it still just all seems so, so like barbaric and uncivilized and just like taking us back to a time that I feel like we've moved beyond. But clearly there's something in humanity that like we haven't. Yeah. You know, that people still want to go and see this. Yeah. And see the person, like you said, who killed their beloved person suffer. Yeah. And payback. Eye for an eye. And ugh, so... It does sound like Mr. Smith appeared to remain conscious for several minutes. Oh, my God. And for at least two minutes, and this really is going to inspire a lot of debate, he appeared to shake and writhe on the gurney, and at times he was even pulling against the restraints. After this, there were several minutes of heavy breathing, and then finally breathing was no longer detected. And it's just... I don't know. I don't know. In his final statement, Smith, again, the murderer said, tonight Alabama causes humanity to take a step backwards. I'm leaving with love, peace, and light. And then he made the I love you sign with his hands toward his family members who witnessed. Oh, God. And he thanked everybody for supporting him and sent his love to his family members. So I don't know. It's just, it really makes you think about kind of capital punishment in general. Is it, is it just? Is it fair? Is it barbaric? It really does make you think. Yeah, yeah. And obviously not saying he's a good guy by any means, but uh, these types of things, you know, like you're saying, the whole death penalty in general, and then, you know, even if it's agreed upon, okay, we're going to implement this, like, what method is humane? I Like, I don't know. I don't know if there is any. But yeah, this is just scary because I, I do agree. I think it seems like it's kind of experimental out there, and it's like, all right, we're just going to let this happen. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and the reason that they used this method in the first place is because they attempted to execute Smith in 2022, but at the time, the lethal injection was called off because at the last minute, the authorities couldn't connect an IV line. So I actually was under a mistaken impression that you know, the drugs, for whatever reason, didn't work That's on him. That's what I had thought, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is really crazy. But superhuman. Yeah. Like, he's got, you know, ice in his veins or something. Yeah. But clearly, it's just an issue. Maybe he had bad veins or something. Oof. Or just there was a bad connection. But that's why they had to go ahead and use this other form of execution. But it's it's interesting. I mean, I hope... This doesn't get used. I don't know. I, I mean, know. in the future, it just seems, yeah, very barbaric and sad that he had to kind of, and again, this is a horrible murderer. So right. let's go into what he did so that we can feel better about it. <laughs> there we go. So 
this Mr. Smith was a horrific murderer for hire by a pastor. So Ronnie May remembers the horrific scene on March 18th, 1988, when he responded to a call. He's the police officer who came to the scene from Charles Sennett, who was a Church of Christ pastor in Sheffield. And Sennett claimed that he found his wife, Elizabeth, dead in their home. Okay. Wink, wink. On Coondog Cemetery Road in Colbert County. Already sounded like a bad place. Oh, tell me about it. Also, it's classic, like, I was in the shower, but wouldn't it deactivate the sodium thyglocolate? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't the cardinal rule of perms that you can't take a shower until weeks after? Come on, people. This is child's play here. Right. It's if Elle Woods knew it, how did you not know it? Yeah. But she had been stabbed, beaten with a fireplace instrument. And finally, it was concluded that this man, Mr. Smith, was hired to murder Elizabeth and to stage her so that it looked like a home invasion and a burglary. It's and never a burglary. I was on. just going to say, didn't cardinal mean to steal rule. your thunder. No, I was going to ask you what the cardinal <laughs> yep. rule is of murders. Never. Although this was the 80s when that rule was still, you know, being solidified cops were still thinking everything was a burglary gone wrong exactly so ugh, it's just it's really creepy and sad and um it sounds like there were two sons of these two and my gosh they attended this execution of kenneth smith and it's just I don't know. He was one of three men who was convicted in this murder for hire scheme. Wow. Their father actually committed suicide before he could be charged. I, you know, I was wondering, but if this guy's, you know, faced the death penalty, what did the dad get? What did the husband get? Exactly. So, so I guess he was his own judge in that way. But yeah. it's a shame that he didn't, you know, really ever have to face justice in this case. Well, and it's like in the end, what was the point of all this? Now these kids have no parent. Like right. both of their parents are dead for what? exactly it's really really sad i don't know i mean i guess this is all just proof that crime doesn't pay and we've got a new method for execution at this point yeah but i mean if it it, it's meant to be a deterrent and if anything i guess they've achieved for me like you know i'm not gonna go out committing crimes tonight (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely not now that this new nitrogen gas method is yeah no thank you but yeah it certainly it inspires a lot of debate about you know, what proper punishment is, what proper deterrent is. It's definitely something that, you know, we wanted to talk about during our liberty. And I think does kind of relate to back going in, going back into the Lion Sisters case and an individual who, spoiler alert, was going to face the death penalty in the end. So like I was saying, it's definitely a deterrent for people. But yeah, I think we'll jump back into where we left off from last week with the abduction of Sheila and Catherine Lyon. Last week, we had just covered Lloyd Lee Welch's second interrogation, where you'll remember he said a local pedophile named not Mr. Strawbridge, but uh, Ray Molesky. (laughs) Molesky the molester. Yeah, was responsible for abducting Sheila and Catherine. And another spoiler alert, which we kind of talked about last week, and you can tell by last week's episode uh, name, There are a lot of lies and twists and turns in the story and how it evolves. So second interrogation by far is not going to be his last. Yeah. So we got to strap in for this round of lies while we enter episode two of this, this crazy tale. So on March 25th, 2014, and again, the incident, the abduction happened in 1975. So we are 40 years out pretty much. Which is just crazy. I mean, this is a lot of time in between. So we do want to, you know, put a little bit of salt on this situation because some of this might be a foggy memory, Mm -hmm. a little bit of confusion. You You forgot a detail or two in the past 40 years. Granted, I think some of what our friend Lloyd was lying about was just full-blown lies that had nothing to do with foggy details yeah but you know important to keep in mind the timeline true in 2014 in march this is the third interrogation of lloyd and this was actually the anniversary of the abduction so police are really hoping 
this is going to bring up something in him, which, you know, fat chance of that. Because yeah, it's going to bring up more lies. Exactly. <laughs> in this interrogation, Lloyd ends up saying that Molesky actually wasn't involved at all, which must have been maddening. If yeah. you recall last episode, he basically pinned the whole thing on Molesky. He talks about how he went down to Molesky's basement. He saw Molesky raping the girls and he was being a creep with his recorder in the mall. Yes. Yeah, picking them up, abducting them in his car. Like, the limp and all. Limp biscuit over yes. here. I mean, he had a whole story. So I do hope at this point that the police were like, wait a minute. This Lloyd guy is telling complete tall tales. So you can't trust him. We can't trust him. There's no way. But now he actually implicates his own family member, his cousin, Teddy Welch. So Lloyd says Teddy and another guy grabbed the girls, pulled the girls into a blue Camaro. At least we're back to the Camaro. You might recall the first car on the list was a red Camaro. The second car, what was the second car? A black car? Yeah, it was a black, yeah, black something. Something. Yeah, the second car was like a big black, I think it was like a black truck. And then this final car, now we've got a blue Camaro, but fine. And supposedly this car belonged to Teddy. Of course, police look into (laughs) it. Immediately, we got a big problem, Uh people. Teddy, at the time of this incident, was 11 years old. Yeah. So not only could he not drive, he couldn't pull two girls who were his same size and age into a moving vehicle. I just, I'm not seeing it. Nope. So the cops are suspicious that Lloyd is lying yet again, but they do wonder if Teddy could have been maybe used to lure the girls, if there was, you know, something going on there because he was right between them in age. Yeah, and we talked about that last time, too. You know, some of these, well, when Molesky was involved, according to Lloyd, possibly using younger teenage boys to lure other younger kids in and, and be able to abduct them. So it's definitely plausible and, you know, police are kind of like, you got to follow him in his story and they have to look into everything that he says. So, you know, it's not adding up, but we still got to get to the bottom of it. So officers obviously go and speak with Cousin Teddy on April 17th of 2014. And Teddy says that his father uh, always told him to stay away from Lloyd. Can't imagine why. Yeah, Lloyd, come on. This great guy who yeah. tells a bunch of lies and creeps around the mall leering at people. He's the best. He was six years older than Teddy and was viewed as kind of the black sheep of the family. Now, shocker over here, both Teddy and Lloyd's fathers were very abusive. Lloyd's father was an alcoholic and he was also sexually abusive. So it was not a good situation for either of these boys growing up. And Teddy also dealt with other instances of sexual abuse. He said that his mother actually sold him to an older man for sex when he was 15 years old. And in return, the man carpeted their house. <laughs> like, like what? Just insane Also, stuff. carpeting's getting really expensive. If you have to sell your son to slavery Seriously. just to make ends meet for the carpet. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know. It was the 70s, so it must have been some good shag carpet or something. Right, but man, stick with the hard wood yeah. if you can keep your kid. Seriously. And so, you know, hearing Teddy's background, police thought, oh, he could have, you know, the type of, the right type of background to somehow be involved in this whole Lion Sisters disappearance. You know, here he was involved in a sexual abuse situation with an older man. We're looking at, you know, not Molesky, but maybe some other guy. Lloyd was saying it was Teddy and somebody else. Teddy agreed to take a polygraph test, and he actually took it three times. And not to do a the same punchline, but guess what? <laughs> <laughs> he passed. Nope, he failed. Which, so this is the craziest part. These two are some lion-ass cousins. Yeah. Although, are you sure they're not the lion cousins? Yeah. The lion sisters were the ones who were abducted. Yeah. But I think the lion cousins are what we should call these episodes. For real. I mean, Lion Lloyd is already perfect there. Oof, really is. Yeah. Teddy blamed his failure on smoking weed. I do have to say, I, I think for the most part, Teddy is genuine. He's a much more genuine person than Lloyd. And... We'll get into it, but I think he's definitely more believable than Lloyd in this situation, at least. We come to July 14th, 2014, and 
Here comes, you guessed it, interrogation number four of Lloyd. Because they just can't get enough of these interrogations. Yeah. I mean, I guess Lloyd was their only person who they were dealing with. Yeah. So they had no choice but to continue pressing him. But they must have realized at this point, like, this guy is an empty shell. Like, yeah. we are not getting any legitimate information from this freak. And all we're going to get is a pack of more lies. But I guess the thing is, too, is that every time they bring him in, his story does change. So what if there is something new? Oh, a does common element? It... Well, actually, that, I wasn't even thinking about that. That is a good point, though. If, if they do find something that lines up. Or what if, you know, they bring him in and there is something that he lets slip out that is the truth amongst all these lies. Because it's like he is still giving them different information and different avenues to look into. But... I, I like your angle better, actually. Is well, like, I like your angle because I'm like, okay, he's spinning so much yarn. He's like flapping his gums so much that finally he's saying so many different things that he, one of them is bound to be the truth at some point because yeah. he's going to run out of lies. And I think, too, the fact that they are like 99% sure that he was the guy in that sketch from, you know, that day at the mall that he's involved somehow. So it's like, oh, they know he's he's got some information. It's just getting it fit? out. Yeah, exactly. And and getting it out of him. God, so true. It must have been so frustrating to be like, okay, this is our only person. Right. We know he's involved, but we don't know how he fits in. What do we do with him? Just keep hammering him with in- interrogations, I guess. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was going to say I'm surprised he keeps coming in, but he's also in jail. So he's probably like, I mean, this gets me out of jail. It gives me something to do for the day. They yeah. probably give him snacks. Like, it's, his, you know? it's his get out of jail free car, yeah. so to speak. Yep, but, exactly. So this time, Lloyd is continuing to say that Teddy was at the mall with another person. And the detective is thinking fast. He's thinking on his feet. And he lies. And he said, yeah, actually, we already talked to that other guy. Yep. And Lloyd, being a dumbass... <laughs> buys the lie and drops the name Uncle Dicky. Yeah, he's like, yeah, Uncle Dicky. And then <laughs> you, the, the, the you might remember Uncle Dicky from last week. Yeah. I definitely said like oh, we Uncle definitely Dickie did. of it all. You can see the detective after he's like, holy shit, he just said the name. He's like, yeah, yeah, Uncle Dicky. Like, oh my God. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah. Well, and again, this goes back to like last week when we talked about the tactic that police will sometimes use where they'll drop information as though the person already knows it yeah. or as though the police already knows it. And then the person will just flap their gums and speak freely about it because they think that the information's already there. Exactly. So, you know, why did you kill him? I didn't stab him. Right. You know, Burning. No, yeah. yeah no. I think he probably burned them after he right. raped them. Like, okay. Yeah. So the detectives learn pretty quickly that Uncle Dickie is Richard Welch, Lloyd's uncle, his actual uncle. And at the time, Dickie worked as a security officer close to the mall. Red flag. Yeah, big red flag. So this would be a great ruse to get the girls to come with him without making a scene. I mean, you're a security officer. You say, hey, this is a matter of security. Like, I need you guys to come with me. Yeah. Or I saw you shoplifting. Right, like, You know, right. make them fearful. Like, oh, I didn't do anything, you know. Yeah, and he's a trusted adult. He's an official. Like, he can show a little badge. Like, yeah, flash the badge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's a private dick. (laughs) In this interview, Lloyd's story changes again. And he says that Teddy talked to the girls and got them to follow him out of the mall. Again, this is 11-year-old Teddy at the time. Right. And Dickie supposedly was waiting there in his Ford station wagon. We've now got a fourth car. Seriously. They all left in Dickie's car. And Lloyd says that he was actually in the car with them. Uh So Uh perfect vantage point. I was really able to see what was happening because I was in the car the whole time. Lloyd says then that the next time he saw the girls was in the basement. And this is sort of following the same storyline. Yeah, there's similar elements. Yeah, except it wasn't Molesky the molester's basement at all. It was Uncle Dickie the Dick's basement. To our point a second ago, the way that Lloyd describes Uncle Dickie's basement is very similar to how he described Molesky the molester's basement. A.K.A. it's probably the truth that there was a basement like this. Right. Exactly. And Lloyd said that Dickie locked the girls in the basement, kept them there for one to two weeks. Yeah. And this is the crappy part. So, of course, the police, prompted by this narrative, searched Dickie's old house twice but didn't find anything. I mean, like you were saying, it's 40 years later. 
Like, what are you going to find? They'd be lucky if they did. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Detectives asked Lloyd, you know, how did Dickie get rid of the girls? And he said that um, they had disposed of them at relatives in Virginia. And this property in Virginia is going to be a big part of the story here. The Welch family had um, this big kind of big property, a lot of land down there in Bedford County, Virginia. And this is a really creepy, interesting fact. Back in 1975, when the abduction occurred, approximately two weeks after the girls were taken, there was actually a sighting of two girls in the back of a station wagon covered in a blanket. Mm. And someone had called it in because they just thought something was strange, like something was off. And when police kind of looked at where that tip came in, it was right on the route that you would take from Maryland to the Welch property in Virginia. Oh, boy. Yeah. Which is just like, oh, my God, the sinking feeling you get learning that and connecting these dots. Exactly. Yeah. So about this property, sometime in the 50s or 60s, Dickie's family actually moved from the property um, up to Virginia but the family had their roots in Taylor's Mountain in Virginia, and they still did have family there. Um, this area is really on the outskirts of Bedford County, Virginia, and it was really, you know, very backwoods, kind of your typical moonshiners, <laughs> um, you know, Appalachian, all that. And it was really known as a no-go place for the police. I think just having that kind of crazy family up there, the police just didn't get involved and kind of stayed out of it. Um, so they pretty much could do whatever they wanted on their land up there and there'd be no consequences. And like we were saying, the Welch family really fits that whole stereotype of the classic Appalachian kind of clan. And the worst part of it, there was a lot of incest. Pretty much everybody in the family had been sexually abused by somebody else in the family. And obviously none of this was ever reported to police. So a really bad situation where you know bad stuff could happen and police can't really touch it you yeah know. yeah kinda. aren't this reminds me so much that family that's in the middle of nowhere i think i know what you're talking about oh yeah it was like horrible yeah the one the one guy talk. is like huh, huh. literally like, and they're all like because it was i think i looked something it up. was all incest right yeah and it was like double incest i think it was like, i think it was too it there was, was some like, twin situation it was america yes. right yeah it's america it's it's somewhere in appalachia oh my yeah. god it's it's but the craziest thing watching some of those they have of course a ton of kids and some of them like there's one woman who's clearly just like mute and doesn't talk Ugh. but yet she somehow has like children and grandchildren oh my god well that's the thing and, and like, that's how? the thing with these like you just have these situations where they're like sort of hidden yeah. in the backwoods well, and, it's and just like, like no one checks the way on of them. life they don't know any they don't know any better different, like, like wasn't there a whole thing though that like eventually they were all gonna die out because probably i mean it's it's like the amish or you know whatever where they start to develop these specific diseases from having such an insular community that it ends up creating a lot of deformities and stuff like that and probably does kill them all. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, these people were so disabled, like, they could not even speak. They yeah. could barely, like, their eyes weren't working. Like, stuff was stuff was malfunctioning yeah. left and right. I mean, I don't know. But that's, like, what I think of out there to a lesser degree, exactly. obviously. But, like. No, that's it's a, like kind of interesting good comparison there honestly so we come to september 2014 and at this point the cops are really starting to focus in on the welch family even though they want nothing to do with them right understandably so they wiretap their phones and come to find out patty welch who is uncle dickie's wife so aunt patty can be heard on recordings saying that she knows the police are watching them so pretty astute clearly they're not like this family that I'm talking True. about. Police are watching them and she saw them putting up cameras right out front of the house. So Patty starts trying to convince the rest of the family not to talk to the police. Ooh, we'll see how that goes for her. So uh, starting September 7th of this year, they launch a major search and all these different efforts to try to find these girls. They descend on the mountain there's a massive property that they have to search, and the house on the property belongs to Lloyd's aunt, Lizzie Parker. So, you know, just a little background there. Yeah, it is It is going to be a lot of, 
names hopefully can kind of follow it and pick up on who the key players are but we may throughout just need to like remind you of yeah who's who. like this is so and so so and so sister or whatever well yeah and we'll we'll give you a little reminder so lizzie again is aunt lizzie lloyd's aunt lizzie so lizzie's daughter who would have been lloyd's cousin connie wow it's actually kind of convenient with the alliteration oh yeah agrees to speak with police Uh oh. and she was a teen living at the house when the girls disappeared and she said she remembered lloyd and his wife coming to the house sometime in 1975 she said that his wife lloyd's wife helen was pregnant when they visited and that she was still pregnant when the girls disappeared Connie also remembers that Lloyd had a large green duffel army bag with Mm-mm. him, which oof, you can already imagine what could yeah, have gone in that bag. You know where it's going. <laughs> and Cousin Connie said that Lloyd set the bag down in front of her, Helen, and Connie's brother, again, another cousin, Henry. When Lloyd opened the bag up, it supposedly had a terrible smell. And Lloyd lied, as he does, and said that they had bought hamburger meat. You know, a whole duffel bag full. Yeah, because who doesn't buy a whole duffel bag full? That'll feed a family of four. Yeah, well, where are you buying this hamburger? There were no Costco's back then. I was just going to say, good old Costco. (laughs) But yeah, he passes it off as hamburger meat and says that they're going to go camp and cook, but that the meat went bad, so they they can't go camping and cooking anymore. You know, a duffel bag isn't the most ideal place to keep that hamburger yeah. meat. Turns out meat spoils faster in duffel bags. Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? So Connie also said that Lloyd's clothes were bloody. So this is not looking good for old Lloyd. No, it's not. And so here we go, getting another name that police want to talk, uh, talk with. So they want to talk with Henry, who was Connie's brother there. Um He was very sick at the time that he agreed to be interviewed, and he, shocker, like everybody else in the family, (laughs) (laughs) had a criminal background. So even though he agreed to speak with police, he was not very forthcoming, you know, because he was afraid of somehow implicating himself and already having a background and whatnot. But he did confirm what Connie had said about Lloyd showing up with a duffel bag and, you know, blood all over him. And he said that Lloyd told them it was a dead dog in the bag. Which, meanwhile, (laughs) who would prefer it was two dead people? I know. But why would you bring a dead dog in a bag? Uh, Yeah, that's also bizarre. Yeah. Like, Um, yeah, I take all my dead animals around in my duffel bag. And it's to show them proper respect before burial. Gotta bury them properly. like On the camping trip, as they would have wanted. Exactly. We let the hamburger meat, instead of pouring out one for him, we let the hamburger meat spoil. (laughs) Go rotten for him. (laughs) (laughs) Pour out the meat. What kind of gives even more credence to this story is Connie and Henry, remember the two cousins, Lloyd's two cousins, actually had a falling out over the property years earlier and hadn't spoken since then. So they're both telling these stories separately to the police and corroborating each other's stories without having, you know, talked about it separately. So this is a good sign. You know, police are thinking, all right, we're we're getting something here. We're getting on the right track, hopefully. Henry told police that they had thrown the bag on a fire that they had, you know, set up there on the property And when police talked to neighbors about this, they said that all of them remembered this fire. So you would imagine, you know, living out in the woods, you have fires all the time. All the time. So what makes this fire so memorable? Yeah, so this is something, something big. And they were able to nail it down that this fire did happen sometime in the 1970s, and it lasted for a week. Also, (laughs) what is it about these bodies that made them flammable for a week? Well, I'm just thinking, how many bodies did they have to throw on that they needed a fire for a week? Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, really? I don't know. Like, a bunch of them? I wouldn't be surprised if there was other stuff, nefarious stuff, and they were just like... Oh my god, or, I didn't even think of that. I thought they were just like making good and sure that these two were like burnt to a crisp. Well, that that is the other thing is, do you remember or have you heard of that case, the Up and Vanished podcast? There was a teacher in Georgia that was killed or and disappeared, but they couldn't find her body and the case hadn't been cracked and then the podcast came out and actually helped crack the case. But it ended up being a former student of hers that actually showed up and killed her and it was another like kind of small rural kind of town and they had a bonfire and put her body on the bonfire and had to 
keep the fire going for several days because the heat apparently doesn't get up high enough to actually turn the body. Like you think it would be like a crematorium, but it's not. Oh yeah. So it's very macabre, but like, you know, to, for it to, for them to kind of get rid of all the evidence, they do have to keep it going for days really. Well, yeah. One of the other cases we covered, didn't they have the same issue where like a body was burned, but like there were still bones left behind. Oh, I know what it is. It's the vanishing of, those children in the house that burned down oh were the solder children yes yeah and, like there was all this evidence about which we have to cover that one yes, too at it's some a good point, one because it's so scary they do talk about the fact that like there would you be would scorched have to, bones yes left. remaining yeah. even with like a horrible house fire exactly. that burned for days like you have to really burn the hell out of something to you know get the bones to go away exactly and the neighbors said also that there was a terrible smell when this fire was going on. So I can only imagine for days, like, and it's again, been Cujo, the dog, the, oh, mer- you mean the dead that? dog, yeah. RIP. <laughs> but I mean, again, it's a scary thing. This no go zone for the police up here. Like people, what are they going to do? They're just, oh, something bad's going on up there, but we're all just not going to get involved. And we do want to bring this back also to remember in the initial interrogation where Lloyd was hypothesizing about you know what could have happened to the girls and he throws out the random specific detail of burning their bodies probably burned them yeah probably burned them you know raped it's awful but like rape killed them and burned them like whoa where's that detail coming from it sounds like you know something we don't know yeah why would you throw that out there so police go to the site of the bonfire and start searching around and they actually find some potential pieces of evidence. They find a piece of wire that they believe could have belonged to Sheila's glasses. They found part of a beaded necklace or bracelet that it was believed Catherine had worn. And they also found bone fragments. So it's not looking good. Awful. So in December of 2014, The lab results came back on the items that were found at the bonfire site, but unfortunately, none of them could definitively be linked. That's such a shame. Ugh, it's such a bummer. And the bones were degraded to the point where there was no DNA that could be gleaned from them. And during this time, more information was discovered that helped clear Teddy's name. You know, the 11-year-old driver. Yeah, the 11-year-old getaway car. (laughs) (laughs) The stunt driver at 11, Dr. Doogie Hauser over here. Exactly. They pulled up medical records and pictures the month prior to show that beforehand, Teddy had been in the hospital. And so he couldn't have done this because not only would he have been an 11 year old stunt driver, he would have been an 11 year old paralyzed (laughs) stunt driver. Yeah. Yeah, Turning the wheel would be a little hard here. Exactly. So he had fallen off of the roof. This really happened. It sounds like a joke, but Teddy had actually earlier that month fallen off of his roof and shattered both of his arms. Yeah. So how's he? Come on, girls. Come Come on in. Yeah. Let's do the Macarena. Right. Come back Uh, here. <laughs> Literally, he had casts on both his arms. His arms were straight out, like I think, and it was like full cast. It wasn't even like arm. below the the elbows. It was like yeah, two like paper mache arms, like propped up. Yeah. So people surely would have remembered seeing an eleven year old stunt car driver with two full arm casts at the mall. Yeah, you think the tape recorder stands out? Try yeah. try abduction, but with two casts, two full casts. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, clearly it was not Ted Word. No. So, I mean, good for him. He was able to to be cleared and it's still unclear why Lloyd tried to pull him in. Who knows? So we move on to January 28th of 2015 and on to Lloyd's fifth interrogation. Police are obviously frustrated at this point. And like we were saying, um, you know, they're hoping to get more details but he's their only real source. So they have to just keep coming back to him and seeing if he'll give them more information. Um, So he does continue to talk with them. And he said that after he saw the girls being abused, he and his wife had decided that they needed to leave Maryland. (laughs) Yeah. Convenient timing. And also so moral of you, you just, you know, got to get out of there. It's too terrible. He said that they ended up going down south to South Carolina and Florida. 
Now, remember, police know about this Virginia property and have looked into it. So they ask him if he possibly went to Virginia. And he responded that it was a strong possibility that they actually went there first before going to South Carolina and Florida. Oh, my God. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, Lloyd's not the brightest. Yeah. He's a moron. Yeah, he's fallen for the lies and he's fallen for the textbook, you know, police questions here. <laughs> So they ask him, hey, you're traveling. What'd you bring your stuff in? How'd you, you know, carry your stuff around? And he says, oh, a duffel bag. You don't say. Yeah, that's surprising. Yeah. Not your rolling luggage. You could have said anything else. You could have said a grocery bag. Like, right? I don't know. Oh, God. But a to, purse. Yeah, right. Like, I didn't. I just, you know, a handkerchief like a, ho- a hobo on a stick. And he even commented about how. Such an idiot. Yeah, so dumb. You know, while he and his wife were hitchhiking, that the driver, you know, one of the drivers who picked him up had commented about, oh, man, this bag is so, so heavy while he's putting it into the trunk there. A completely unnecessary detail that absolutely could have been left out. Right. Yeah. And uh, Lloyd, I don't think you're the most fashionable guy there that you've got some crazy clothes that are just so heavy carrying along there on your hitchhike journey. Right. A capacious bag. Right. Um, so police confront Lloyd with all the lies, all the changing stories and everything from the past interrogations. And, you know, they ask him about the property and the bodies and everything. And he said he didn't kill them and he didn't burn them. But he did confirm that there was a big fire. There was a big fire while he and his wife were there in Virginia. And he said that Dickie and Henry, again, so Uncle Dickie and then Cousin Henry, <laughs> Threw the bag on the fire. Clearly, he's dropped Teddy like a hot potato. At least yeah, he understands true. enough to know that he was exonerated. Yeah, stop pulling him in. But Lloyd did confirm that he believed the girls were in the bag that they threw onto the fire. God. Yeah. So, on February 25th, 2015, this is Lloyd's sixth interview. The police decide hey let's switch it up this isn't working so well let's let's really trick this guy yeah we've gotten some good stuff out of him before by you know pretending and making up lies for him so why not give it another shot yep so they knew that lloyd's wife helen was a potential witness but she was no longer alive so they lied now this is hilarious they lied and told Lloyd that they had Helen's diary with them. Yeah, and it's funny because he's like, I didn't know she kept a diary. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, it was years later after she, like, had been with you. Like, it was years later. He's oh like, oh, okay. God. Like, I never saw her writing in a diary. Like, like all oh. of a sudden, the police know so much more about her. Than... It was years later. And he just buys it hook, line, and sinker, of course. So, of course, since Lloyd believes the police, he starts offering more information, just like he does with every other trick in the book. And he said back in 1975, Uncle Dickie approached Lloyd and Teddy. Uh, we Cousin spoke too Teddy. soon. Forgot he does still throw poor Teddy in. But... Yeah, of course. Oh, my gosh. Teddy's not off the hook yet. No. But Uncle Dickie supposedly approached the two boys, Lloyd and Teddy, with a plan to go to the mall and pick up girls. Lloyd supposedly approached the girls and asked if they wanted to smoke weed. He said Catherine, the older sister, who was 12, said she had never smoked before and seemed interested. But Sheila, who was 10 at the time, said she didn't want to go. But he was supposedly able to entice them with this to follow him outside the mall. So supposedly Dickie pulled up his car Uh and luckily we don't have a fifth car that Lloyd has now offered. But Catherine got into the front with Uncle Dickie and Teddy. And back then, I guess it was the um, bench seat. Uh, Yeah. And Sheila got in the back seat with Lloyd and she was crying. At some point, Lloyd says that he left. The next day, Uncle Dickie and Teddy asked Lloyd and Helen, his wife, to babysit the girls at Uncle Dickie's house. And supposedly, Lloyd and Helen watched the girls for four or five hours. This is the most convoluted. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's not even like, not that it would make it any less convoluted, but it's not even like they dropped the girls off with them. It's like, come to my house and watch them here. Like, Yeah, for no apparent reason. Right. Like, where are we going to be? Don't worry about it. Yeah, bye. 
So then apparently Dickie came back and that was the last time Lloyd saw the girls. Doesn't sound right to me. No, doesn't even sound like a good lie. No, it's a pretty one of his, you know, out of what this was the sixth interview. Not his best. Not the best. Although none of them were really diamonds, if we're being honest here. Very true. But that doesn't stop, you know, the interrogations from going on. So May 1st, 2015, we have the seventh interview with Lloyd. And the police are really trying to put pressure on him. You know, they made him aware that at this point they really had enough to charge him in Virginia. And that, like we were saying, Virginia has the death penalty. So this was enough for Lloyd to start, you know, spinning some some stories and talking more. And he said that it was Dickie and Lloyd's father, Lee Welch, who actually killed the girls. And these brothers apparently had been very close back in the day. At some point, the girls had enough and, you know, they they wanted to go home. But Dickie obviously knew that he couldn't send them home. And so Lloyd said that he had a strong suspicion about what happened and where the girls were eventually killed. He said that there was a bridge in I think I believe it was Hyattsville, Maryland. That was Dickie's favorite fishing spot, and he said he believed that Dickie cut up the girls' bodies there and threw threw them into the water at night. Ooh, yeah, not a not a nice scene there. No. So a detective decided, all right, I'm gonna follow up on this one. I'm gonna go visit this bridge that Lloyd described. And when you're thinking about it, it's not even like a super high bridge that you would like jump off of into the water or anything like that it's pretty much like a bridge at the end of the street in a neighborhood over a little creek it is a bridge that cars drive over but it's it's not a big giant bridge or anything like that he realized that this bridge is really wide open to view it's totally visible from all angles around it there was a footpath right there and the water they even showed it in this documentary that you know, we got a lot of this from and like you can walk across the creek. Oh, my God. So, th- so there's no way you could have disposed of two no. bodies. And there's no way this was even a fishing spot. Like, what are you fishing for? Minnows? Yeah. Like tadpoles. tadpoles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, again, another, you know, dead end wild goose chase from Lloyd. Ugh. But when the detective is leaving the bridge, he actually sees Lloyd's family home right at the other end of the street. Oh, boy. Full of incestuous cousins, no oh, doubt. Yeah, just moving it up from the Virginia branch to the Maryland branch. <laughs> and Lee, Lloyd's father, lived there in 1975. And Lloyd had actually lived there intermittently during that time as well. So the detective takes a chance and he goes up and knocks on the door. And luckily, the current owner lets him take a look around. The detective goes around back, and what does he see? A basement. Oh, boy. And not just any basement, but the basement matching the description that Lloyd had given, but not Molesky's basement, not Dickie's basement, but it matches the description of these basements all along. So just as Lloyd had described, there were these steps down from outside, and then you, you get the door to the basement, It was an unfinished basement with the two rooms. And as he walked through, he could see that there was a doorway to the back room where clearly a door used to be. And luckily, the homeowner is very compliant with the police officers. And they come back and end up spraying the whole basement for blood. And the back room specifically just lights up another classic true crime. We should add it to the list type of thing is it lit up like a Christmas tree. Yep. Love to say it, but beautiful, yeah, stunning image. Oh, Merry bloody Christmas. basement! Yeah, God bless us, everyone. And it's it's really an eerie image. This luminol spray in the back corner of this back room. There's this like blood pooling in the corner, and then spatter all over the walls. And it, it's it's not in the shape of like a person or anything like that, but you can really picture like where a person would have been in this situation, and something Ooh. obviously terrible happened. Yeah. So, at least we're getting somewhere. May 12th, 2015, we are on Lloyd's eighth interrogation. And at this interrogation, he says that Dickie would make pornographic videos and sell them on the mountain. To, <laughs> to who? I was just going to say, to A Billy Go Gruff? The other family members? Literally. Like, 
That's so true. Like, I sold them to Cousin Henry. Yeah, I'm out at the at the tree on the corner of nothing and nothing else. Right, right? like, Come who else is me. out here? Supposedly, according to Lloyd, this was Dickie's whole motive in abducting the girls. It was to use them in these creepy porn movies. And a detective confronted Lloyd about the basement that they explored in his father's old house. And he tells Lloyd, listen, we sprayed the basement with luminol. There was a ton of blood. What's up? Lloyd finally realizes that they found the basement he had been describing all along. So he's like, all right, you got me on that. So I'm going to give more details on what happened. He says that one of the girls, he believes Sheila, tried to get away. And Uncle Dickie, realizing that he had lost control of the situation, had Lee kill Sheila. Again, Lee is the father of Lloyd and the brother of Dickie. So Lloyd said that he saw Dickie and Lee kill her together. Lee supposedly broke her neck. Dickie started chopping her up with a long axe and put her in a bag. So at least we're coming back to the bag here. Like, duh, I'm sorry. The hamburger meat was selling no one. No. And the fire that burned for a million days and smelled like ass. No, and the hamburger meat, mm -mm, not buying it. Uh, Not going camping anytime soon. Why'd you have to drive to Virginia to dispose of your rotten hamburger meat? Exactly. We tried to go camping elsewhere in Maryland. Right. The meat went bad, so we drove it all the way so to Virginia. brought it with us. <laughs> so Lloyd said that this all happened, the the baggin and taggin, happened in the back room of the basement, which actually does make sense. Yeah, it's all starting to line up. Yeah, at last. Only, only on uh, the eighth interrogation at yeah. this point. So Lloyd said Sheila was taken to Virginia, and the last time he saw her was on the Welch property in Virginia, and she was still alive. Ugh. But... And uh, all this really does is just frustrates you because we have no idea if he's lying. He probably is. Exactly. And why would they even do this? This is like taking the hamburger meat across the border. Like, why would you keep one alive, kill the other? It just feels ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, like you're saying, we can't trust his story at all. And, you know, there probably is some truth in it, but a lot of it is probably a lie. Now we move on to his last interrogation. Thank God. Yeah, finally. Sure it only all took thankful. nine. Yep. <laughs> and this is July 14th, 2015. Lloyd admits again that he was in the basement when Sheila was killed. And he said that Dickie and Lee threatened him and, you know, forced him to help with, with the whole situation. Lloyd said that Dickie and Lee cut up the body. He didn't do any of that, but he did help clean up. And he said that he also did drive the bag to Virginia under Dickie and Lee setting something up and instructing him to do so. So they had told him that Henry, remember this is cousin Henry, (laughs) would be ready to meet them there and would have this whole bonfire set up and, you know, have it ready to go to throw the bag onto. Which, no offense, why did the bag have to go to Virginia? Well, just to get out of Dodge? I think because they knew they could do this bonfire in like the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere nowhere on their property and nobody would bother them because otherwise if they try to dispose of it elsewhere yeah you know there's the possibility that it could be found okay fair enough but i mean it is a big risk if you think about it like driving it all that way across state lines yep and i mean they don't they don't strike me as probably the best drivers either i doubt if you know they have all this other criminal background I doubt they're worried about uh, abiding by the speed limit. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're not keeping their hands at 10 and 2. Yeah, you know, it's pretty risky. Lloyd said that when he came back from Virginia, they had the car cleaned, and he doesn't know what happened to it after that. But police really, you know, believed, I guess, other info and just knowing that Lloyd's a liar, that the car was probably destroyed on that mountain in Virginia because, I mean, they're destroying bodies out there. It's the perfect opportunity to destroy a car on this vast property right. that they can just burn it up, you know. Do whatever they want yeah, to. Yeah, take it. it apart, bury it in the ground if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever they want to do, no one's coming and looking for it. Finally, though, at this point, Lloyd was charged with first-degree felony murder for at his last. Oh, my Finally. God. It took long enough, didn't yeah. it? And it took well, enough interrogations to finally get to this point. 
finally, September 2017, Lloyd pleads guilty to two counts of first-degree felony murder. And it's believed that he pled guilty to avoid the death penalty, again, which you don't blame him for avoiding the death penalty after what we heard about it earlier this episode. Right. And he did not admit to raping or killing the girls at this point. And the judge agreed to a 48-year sentence. And he was already in there, so... Yeah, it was after his 33-year sentence that he was still finishing up. Right, so he was gonna die in prison. Yeah. Is he dead yet? No, I don't think so. I think he's still with us. So this actually is the oldest conviction without a body in the U.S. So it's kind of a historic case in that way. And I gotta be honest, I'm surprised that they could get it with all these lies and oh my god these police really earned it didn't they yeah but it but it truthfully it does surprise me because they don't have i mean i know they have a bone fragment but it couldn't be tied to the girls like it just it does surprise me that they were able to get a conviction but i guess you know with him pleading it, it makes it easier obviously yeah that definitely helps so at least we do have a good ending that there finally was some justice in this case after so many years But it's so hard because there's also so many questions still to this day. Yeah. And one of the key detectives in cracking the case said he feels he held the family because he was never able to bring the girls' bodies back to the family for a proper burial. But, I mean, what great police work. Like, for all the different stories we've covered, the majority of the time, or at least a good amount of the time, the police departments are, if not to blame, a big part of why these cases never got solved. Exactly. Or why they happened in the first place. Right, right. Yeah, but here, you know, the police really persisted and kind of took all these little bits of his various different stories and were able to kind of put together, I think, as close to what happened as, you know, they're going to get. And I think in the end, thankfully, that was enough to put Lloyd Lee Welch away for the rest of his life. So now that we're at the conclusion of this episode, just want to send a big thank you again to Dave Schwartz in Maryland. He's a Maryland boy, and I'm sure that he was a kid when this all went down, and he probably was scared to death by this, as we oh would my be, God. too. This is really creepy. But my gosh, what a great and really creepy tale to send our way and a historic one at that. And thanks for giving us some interesting stuff to wade through and a police department that we can finally commend for doing such a spectacular job sticking with somebody through a web of absolute lies. So thanks so much, Dave. And please continue to send us all kinds of requests, ideas, Again, we're always down to investigate all of your crazy stuff, and we really appreciate our listeners. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening.